Today we are in Family Worship Sunday, so we're all going to stick around together here in church together. Everybody find their spot and settle down. All right, so, um, so I'm going to share a story with you, but first I want to tell you guys a little bit about what we've been talking about while you're in children's worship. So while you guys are in children's worship, uh, we have been talking about what we think about Jesus and what we think about God. We're talking about our core beliefs because what we believe is really important, right? And so we've been talking about that as grown-ups, just like you've been talking about things like that as kiddos in children's worship. And so what we have been talking about is we've been asking questions, we're asking questions, and then we're trying to come up with answers for those questions, okay? So the first question is, who is God? Does anybody have an answer to who is God? Shelby, who is God? He is the Lord, yes. Who else? Who else? Who is God? Sutton? He's basically like a Holy Spirit. He's like a Holy Spirit. All right, very good. What else? He's like a celestial being. A celestial being. Okay, so we've been talking about a lot of these things about what God is, who is God. Um, and, and we've said, and we want you to read this question, this up here. And so parents, this review is really for you. I'm just disguising it as for the kids, all right? So, um, so, who is God? So, we're saying that I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, we believe in the one true God, and it is the God of the Bible. And it is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We ask the question, is God good? Is God good? Yes. Yes, God is good. And you know what? God doesn't have to be good. But God is good. And so we came up with, we, we talked about this next statement that says, I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. So God cares about you. He cares about your daily life. He wants to know what you're doing when you're on the stage and when you're in class and when you're at home. God cares very much what you're doing, all right? And he cares about us. He loves us. God is very, very good. And so the next question we have to ask is, well, if God is good, how do I have a relationship with him? How do I have a relationship with God? Do we know how, how do you have a relationship? You can pray, yes, Shelby. You can praise the Lord, yes. How else can we have a relationship with God? You can be kind to others. Those are all really good ways to have a relationship with God. We can read the Bible. Very good. Okay, so let's read this next one up here. I believe a person comes into a right relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so we believe, and that gets us a relationship with God. All right, and so then the question that came after that is, how do we know God's will for our life? How do we know what God wants for us? How do we learn about who God is and what he wants for our lives? Samantha? Through the Bible. Very good. So we have the Bible, and we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and that it guides our beliefs and our actions, okay? So that is what we've been talking about in here. Very important questions for us all to be answering. The question we're going to talk about today is, who am I? Who am I? And so we're gonna, I want you guys to listen through the sermon to think about who we are 
And if you can come up with the answer, I'm going to be in the back with some prizes for you. And you can come give your answer and we'll get you a little treat or something. So listen to the answer to the question, who am I? First, we're going to share a little story, okay? And this is one of my favorite books called You Are Special, okay? And this is the most profound book that, any, that I've ever read, okay, besides the Bible. So adults, please listen up because this is a story for you, all right? So You Are Special. Let's start on page one. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat up on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses. Others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats and others wore coats. But all were made by the same carver and they all lived in the village. And all day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of gold star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets, all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars and dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots. The talented ones got stars, too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them want to do something else to get another star. Others, though, could do little, and they got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so the people would give him more dots. Then, when he would try to explain why he fell, he would say something silly, and the Wemmicks would give him more dots. And after a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside he was afraid he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in the water, and then people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that people would go, come up to him and give him one for no reason at all. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would agree with one another. He's not a good wooden person. After a while, Puccinello believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. A few times he went outside. He hung around other Wemmicks who had a lot of dots. He felt better around them. One day he met a Wemmick who was unlike any he'd ever met. She had no dots or stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up and give her a star but it would fall off. Others would look down on her for having no stars, so they would give her a dot, but it wouldn't stay either. 
that's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the, the stickerless Wimmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why? Why don't you find out yourself? Go up the hill. He's there. And with that, the women who had no stickers turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Lucia didn't hear, so Punchinello went home. He sat near a window and watched the wooden people as they scurried around, giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself, and he decided to go see Eli. He walked up that narrow path onto the top of the hill and stepped into the big workshop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch out to his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here, and he turned to leave. Then he heard his name. Punchinello? The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large, bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Wimmick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm, the maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wimmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give stars or dots? They're Wimmicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think you're pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on those small wooden shoulders, and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping that you would come, Eli ex explained. I came because I met someone who had no mark, said Punchinello. I know, she told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take some time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come to see me every day and let me remind you of how much I care. 
Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the women walked out the door, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. So today we're going to be talking about who we are. And a little bit of the answer is right there. So if you guys want to head back to your seats and listen carefully to the answer of our question, who am I? So it's pretty incredible how a simple children's story can explain so much truth to us. Um, and, and like we've talked about in a lot of our messages, something that's very simple to understand intellectually, but, but for us, that story is very real, right? We have these dots and these stickers that we carry on us, worrying about what other people think about us. And that is just as much a grown-up problem as it is a children's problem. This question of, of who am I is a question that, that nags at us and, and haunts us and, and causes so many problems at so many levels. So many of the messes that we find ourselves in is because of how we answer this question, who am I? I'm Jason, but does that adequately define who I am? Does it, does it define everything about me? And so how we answer this question of who am I, uh, if you like the answer to that question, then life is probably going pretty well for you. If you don't like the answer to that question of who am I, then you're probably facing some challenges, facing some difficulties. And in every circumstance, in every situation we find ourselves in, we begin to doubt who we are, we begin to really be strong and know who we are, and, and we vary in between those two extremes. But how we answer this question of who am I really defines so much of, of who we are. And as we've been going through this, this series called The Core, as we're thinking about these, these core beliefs of who we are, we've been talking about what it means to, to have an intellectual understanding of something, so getting something into my head, but it can't stop there because it's not just the intellectual pursuit of something, it's also about how you get that down into your heart. And that's where we believe, really believe in something. Do you really believe these things? The question of who am I is, is so important to us understanding our identity. And I believe that, that more than most of our other beliefs, this one is under the most attack. And it's very subtle how these things are attacked. Where does your identity come from? Things come in and try to steal the identity, steal who you are. Maybe it's an abusive parent, or it's a critical employer, or it's a bitter ex-spouse, or a belittling boyfriend or girlfriend, or a bully at school, or a gossip, or a comment online. These different things come and attack who we are, and they come in and try to morph and change and distort the answer to the question, who am I? 
Sometimes they aren't even people. Sometimes it's things like Success Magazine or, or advertisements or media or Hollywood that come in and try to define for us who we are. And they want to answer the question, who am I? And they answer it incorrectly. They paint a picture of identity that's, that we begin to believe in, but it's not the true identity that we have. These are the spots and the stars that are stuck all over us answering this question. This enemy comes in and lies to us, trying to give us something else. But God is telling us something very different. He has a different story for us. Our creator comes in and says, you have a different identity. Those dots and those stars, those are not the things that really matter. And so because we are followers of Jesus, the, the question of who am I becomes totally rewritten, totally changed. Whatever the answer was before to that question is now different because of Jesus. John chapter 1 says it this way, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. And so because of Jesus, we have the right to become children of God. How incredible is that? Can we really get that into our hearts to really comprehend what that actually means? What's more important, more loved, more significant than a child? And that's who we are in God's eyes. The adoption papers are signed, and we are a part of a new family. And God is saying, you are special. I love you. And so we have this newfound identity that comes from our birthrights. Not by our performance, not by what we do, but because we are born into this new family. And so who are we? The answer to this question is simple enough for a children's story. We are children of God. We are children of God, and not by anything that we did, not by our performance, we receive this gift. We are a child of God because of our belief in Jesus. And so we have our core belief for this week. I believe I'm significant because of my position as a child of God. Let's read that out loud together now. I believe I am significant because of my position as a child of God. Now you say those words from your lips, but is that really what you believe in your heart? Do you believe that you are significant? Do you believe that you're that important, that you could be called a child of God? Because so often the way we behave does not reflect this truth. The doubts that we have, the, the caring what stickers are stuck on us becomes more important than the truth that we have a position as a child of God. It's an incredible position of honor to be called a child. 
and we receive that from God. We think about things in psychology that, that tells us where our self-esteem comes from. What are the things that build us up? What are the things that, that make us feel good about ourselves? And so we need things. All humans need these things of, of, of feeling loved and feel, feeling a sense of purpose and feeling secure and feeling significant and feeling like there's a sense of belonging. We all need those things. And so much of the dysfunction in our lives and so much of the brokenness in our lives is looking to fulfill those things in some other way. And so we, we look to things to find those fulfillments, to fill those things, to fill love, to, to fill a sense of purpose, to feel safe and secure, to, to feel significant, to feel like you belong to something. And so you can point to almost any bad behavior and point to an attempt to make one of these things feel good in your life. But Jesus comes in and, and says, something's different now. Because now I am the one who is answering these questions. I'm the one who is providing for this. Don't believe the distorted view of the world. And don't believe what they are telling you. Don't believe these other sources of identity because through Jesus we gain our identity. It's through Jesus that we, we find our love and purpose and security and significance and sense of belonging. It's, it's in him that we find those things. And, and everything that we are in pursuit of that is outside of that is a distraction from our true identity and who he is. The story of Zacchaeus is a fun story. It's one that I just have fond memories of because um, as a kid, I was in a VBS program where I got to be Zacchaeus. Um, and so it just sticks in my mind as you know, climbing up in this tree that some dad built for the, the end of the week program. And so, so the Zacchaeus story is one that sticks with me. Um, and the story of Zacchaeus is one uh, that that is impressed on our memory uh, because we have a song that goes with it. How many know the Zacchaeus song? Okay, there's a few that know the Zacchaeus song. Um, and so poor Zacchaeus is immortalized in this song, right? Uh, we have this song that, that describes his identity as a very wee little man. And so Wade is like, yeah. Yeah, poor guy, he's short, and he just, it's like, he's this wee little man, and thank you for nodding your head, because I was going to call you out and make a joke about it, but now you did it for me. So there are, there are a few short people in the room, and they really don't like being short, but, um, you know, the song is, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, he climbed up in a sycamore tree, and wanted to see, keep going. What? Zacchaeus, you come down from there, right? Zacchaeus, you come down from there because I'm going to your house today. Going to your house today. So Jesus calls out Zacchaeus from this tree, this poor wee little man. Like what kind of complex does Zacchaeus have? It's like people for centuries have been calling him a wee little man. This is his identity. He is Zacchaeus the short guy. 
All right? I can't relate to the short guy syndrome. Some of you can, Wade and Matt. But, but you know, it's like there's, there's the short man thing where it's like you're short and you don't want to be short, and this becomes his identity. And Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, we have to, to connect some dots here, but Zacchaeus is trying to compensate for this a bit, and he pursues wealth, and he pursues power, and he pursues control over other people by becoming a tax collector. Zacchaeus is not a good guy, and I don't know if it's because he was short or not, but it makes for a good story. So, but, but he is definitely compensating for something. He, he, he's coming in here, and, and he becomes a tax collector. He doesn't care what other people think about him, or so he thinks, or so he acts. He'll come in and take your money, He'll come in and, and distort the truth and lie and cheat to make his money. But Jesus comes in and says, I want to go to your house. Why does Jesus want to go to Zacchaeus' house? I've got the whole passage up here, but I'm just going to kind of skip, skip around. So keep Stacy on her toes back there. In verse 8, it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so we have poor Zacchaeus here who, who has encountered Jesus in such a profound way that he is willing to go back and make up for all the wrong that he's done. For every person that he's cheated, for every person that he's swindled, his encounter with Jesus is so transformative that he will go back and correct all of that. This is a man who has a new identity. He has a new purpose in life. He has a new sense of belonging. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He's not Zacchaeus the wee little man. He's not Zacchaeus the tax collector. He's not Zacchaeus the one who is wealthy, the one who is stealing, the one who is cheating the people. He's not the one who is despised, that, that they would not even associate with him. Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. That's how Jesus sees him. And now all of those stars and dots begin to fall off. And Zacchaeus moves forward, living this new life of who he is, this new identity found in Jesus. There's another great story about identity in John chapter 4. Jesus is, is leaving Judea and headed up to Galilee, and instead of taking the usual route around Samaria, he decides to go through Samaria, which is a really bad thing for a good Jewish guy to do. But he decides to go through Samaria anyway. There is this, there is this centuries-old feud between the two, between the Jews and the Samar Samaritans. And to travel through there is just not a really good idea. One, because the Jews think that they're a lot better than them. 
And so there's this conflict between the two. And so it's really a risky proposition to even travel through there. So, so the good Jewish thing to do is to travel around Samaria. It's a longer route, but it's a safer route, and it'll give you a lot less headache and a lot less hassle. But Jesus decides to cut through, and they take a break and stop at this well, and, and Jesus is, is tired from the journey, and he, he sits down there, and the disciples go into town to go shopping or sightseeing or something. And so he, he's sitting there alone, and it's around noon. And so it's the heat of the day. And a woman comes up to the well to get water. And Jesus asked this woman for a drink. Now, a, a Jewish man, a single Jewish man, would never speak to or touch a woman at all, much less actually engage in a conversation with them or ask them for water or, or even talk to them in any way. And so the, the very start of this conversation is all, already a bit startling that Jesus would talk to her. And not only is she a woman, but she is a Samaritan woman. And so they begin this conversation. It's more than just asking for a drink of water. That becomes the start of a, of a deeper conversation. And here's some of their exchange in John 4, starting in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of, of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is saying, If you knew who you were talking to, you'd be the one asking instead of me being the one asking. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, they're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become uh, in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So the woman said, Sir, give me this water so I don't have to be thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. And the exchange continues some. But here Jesus is having this conversation with the Samaritan woman, something that would be totally scandalous and and taboo, but they're engaging in this conversation. And the conversation actually gets a little bit better because Jesus tells the woman to then go take this information that she's just learned and take it and tell her husband. And the woman says, I'm not married. And if you know the story, Jesus has trapped her into this conversation where she says, I'm not married. And he said, you're right. You are not married. You have been married five times, and you're living with a man that's not your husband's. So now we get a more complete picture of the type of woman that Jesus is talking to. Because she is here getting water at noon, the time that no other women would be showing up to get water. Because they're coming out and getting water in the mornings and the evenings. 
And so she is isolated from the community. She is a nobody. She is the scandalous woman that everybody looks at with judgment. She's the one that they look down on. She's the one that they are critical of. And she's had to come at a different time just to get water because she's pushed out onto the fringes. And Jesus is talking to her about getting water that will satisfy every thirst that she has ever had. And so instead of satisfying your thirst in all of these worldly, fleshly things, satisfy your thirst through the one who is living water. And so Jesus comes in and gives this woman this incredible opportunity to satisfy her thirst, to gain her identity, not in the mistakes of her past, not in the lifestyle that she's living, but in Jesus himself. And incredible things begin to happen for this woman. Because this woman takes what Jesus has to say and is so energized by who he is that she goes back to the town, to the people that she's avoiding, and she tells them, here's the Messiah. And they believed her. This woman that has no credibility, that has quite a reputation, comes back into town and they actually listen to her. And they believe. And this is what verse 39 says. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This woman, who's a Samaritan, who's getting water, working in the middle of the day so that she can avoid this town and avoid these people who are looking at her with condemnation, her testimony is the one that transforms this group of people. Her testimony has such incredible power that people believe and follow Jesus. And so who are we? Who we are is not defined by our money. It's not defined by our power. It's not defined by our past. It's not defined by our mistakes. Who you are is defined by the living water of Jesus, the Spirit of God in us, the Spirit that, that is the sign of adoption papers being signed to say you are a child of God. And if you can really believe that, if you can really get that into your heart, everything changes. You're now free from condemnation. Your worth comes from your position and not from your performance. And you live to share a powerful testimony, a powerful testimony of who you are in Christ not trying to prove yourself to anybody, not trying to be good enough, not trying to have a good enough appearance of everything being okay, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the dots are. It doesn't matter what the stickers are. It doesn't matter. 
What matters is who is in you. That's God. And so whatever you think you were missing, whatever stickers that you think are just too permanently stuck, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever missteps you've had, you don't need those things. Those are not the things that define you. That is not your identity. Let's read this again together. I believe I am significant because of my position as a child of God. Simple enough for a children's story, but incredibly difficult when we get into those day-to-day things where people start questioning us, criticizing us, doubting us, where we start doing those things for ourselves, where we are our worst critics, and those lies start to be told over and over and over of who the enemy says that we are instead of who God says we are. Let's be standing together. We're going to spend some time in prayer, some time together of encouraging one another and lifting one another up. We'll have the the shepherds down front to pray with you. Uh, They'll be in the front and in the back. You can move and and pray with one another, uh, whether it's a, a small group that wants to get together or a family or you see somebody that you know, a situation that they have, go to that person and spend some time praying with them, encouraging them. Because hopefully there are enough days where those of us who are, are listening to the truth and realizing our identity can help those who are beginning to doubt their identity. And then on the other days, we can flip-flop and share for each other, right? And so there are people in the room who are facing things where this question of who am I, we don't like the answer. The answer is not a good answer right now. And we need to come alongside one another and help speak truth into that. You are a child of God. You are a child of God, regardless of whatever situation you find yourself in. Let's pray together. God, thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you for the honored privilege of of being your child. And so God, help us to even comprehend the depth of that love, that you would love us so much. You would love us so much that you would send your son for us to bring us back into a relationship with you where you can embrace us and love us as your children, your heirs to the kingdom. We are your sons and daughters. And so God, where, where we are doubting that, where we are questioning that, I pray that you will speak truth into the hearts of people you will speak truth into our hearts as we try to answer this question of who am I? And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.